and welcome to the Pac-Man Podcast, Patriotic American Citizen. I'm Ted Flint on the BMG Network. On this program, more bad news for the Bidens. Hopefully it results in good news for the country. Some redistribution of Social Security money, more than the usual cash grab by our federal government. A U.S. warship attacked in the Middle East. Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida, he absolutely wipes the floor with California Governor Gavin Newsom with our debate last week. We'll tell you about that. And we'll end on a good note. A homeowner shoots multiple armed robbers, killing one of them, because we want to end on a, on a positive note. Today is December 5th as I record this. And uh, Jim Comer, House Oversight and Accountability Committee Chairman, Republican from Kentucky, released subpoenaed bank records showing that Hunter Biden used a business entity to make monthly payments to his father. I mean, what more proof do we need to show the Bidens are dirty? They're corrupt. The payments to Joe Biden came after Hunter's business account. A Wasco PC received money from Chinese state-linked companies and other foreign nationals and companies. It's according to financial records, obtained by Comer's panel. And I'll give you the quote here from Comer in a statement. He said, Hunter Biden's legal team and the White House's media allies claim Hunter's corporate entities never made payments directly to Joe Biden. This wasn't a payment from Hunter Biden's personal account, but an account for his corporation that received payments from China and other shady corners of the world. But Joe Biden and his cronies in the media continue to deny any wrongdoing. Hunter is currently under investigation by the Department of Justice for using the Owasco PC corporate account for tax evasion and other serious crimes. Comer's committee, probing alleged influence peddling by Joe Biden via his family's foreign business dealings. Republicans on the House panel say payments to Joe Biden from Hunter's Owasco PC corporate account are part of a pattern revealing the president knew about, participated in, and benefited from his family's influence peddling schemes. The Oversight Committee has identified more than 20 shell companies and uncovered how the Bidens and their associates raked in over $24 million between 2015 and 2019 by selling Joe Biden as the brand. But Joe Biden insists nothing happened, nothing untoward went down. But the more we learn, it appears the Justice Department was trying to cover for the Bidens. And until a couple of IRS whistleblowers came forward and a federal judge rejected the sweetheart plea deal they had. These people are so... But nothing's going to happen. Nothing will. Ha- nothing ever happens. All these investigations and all the, these House Oversight Committee investigations and hearings, they result in no convictions, not even charges. Hillary Clinton, prime example. Prime example. You know, Social Security is, is a Ponzi scheme. And I'm hoping when I retire in a few years that the money that I've been putting in since I was 18 or 19 will be there. Will it be? I hope so. But, you know, we have people running Social Security who are in over their heads. They should not be. They, they couldn't run a, an ice cream stand, for God's sakes. This Kilolo Kijakazi is the Social Security Administration commissioner. She was chosen by Biden and she's an activist for the National Advisory Council on Eliminating the Black-White Wealth Gap and being on the Equitable Recovery Advisory Group. Basically, she's a socialist. 
And she, you know, fits right in with this administration. All they do is redistribute wealth. And in this case, they're redistributing wealth from white recipients to non-white recipients. That's how it sounds to me. But I'll just read you the report here from WorldNet Daily. Under her watch, this uh, Kijakazi, the administration has overpaid beneficiaries, some of them, tens of billions of dollars, including a 65% spike in overpayments in one year. That's according to Judicial Watch. The report explained the noted racial equity activist was part of a whopping $23 billion in overpayments during 2023. That's up from $11 billion in overpayments that the SSA made in 2022. How can this be? $22 billion. It's our money. It's being mishandled. It goes down a hole. The report said at a congressional hearing earlier this year's SSA commissioner, uh, Keija Kazi told federal lawmakers her agency is trying to recover the money by sending out millions of overpayment notices to those who erroneously got extra cash. <laughs> I wish I'd sent some cash my way. Of course, they, you know, it's flowing from me to other sources. But anyway, this uh, Keija Kazi, I'm going to pronounce it. It's, it's K-I-J-A-K-A-Z-I. Sounds like it should be in the Biden administration. She's this racial equity proponent. She, somebody like her should not be running a federal agency. But she continues to face these, these problems. She's added 4,000 workers to the administration, the SSA. You know, she claims there are no material weaknesses in the internal controls. Obviously, that's not the case. I'll just finish up the report here. Most of the money is never recovered. It's our money. In the last few years, the agency has doled out between $6 billion and $7 billion in new overpayments annually. It's like the post office. There's $6 billion in the red every year. The report shows that most of the 2022 overpayments, around $6.5 billion, occurred with, within the old age survivors and disability insurance programs, which provide monthly benefits to qualified retired and disabled workers and their dependents and also to survivors of insured workers. You know something, there's so much of this going on. It's just, it's unbelievable, the waste and fraud in the federal government. I'm sure most of you heard about a week ago, the uh, a U.S. warship got hit, and also commercial vessels were attacked in the Red Sea. But, you know, why are we over there? What are we doing over in the Middle East? Protecting Israel, you might say. But commercial ships came under attack uh, Sunday by drones and missiles in the Red Sea, and a U.S. warship opened fire in self-defense, part of an hour-long assault claimed by Yemen's Houthi rebels. The attack potentially marked a major escalation in a series of attacks in the Middle East linked to the Israel-Hamas war. Multiple vessels found themselves in the crosshairs of a single Houthi assault for the first time in the conflict. So the U.S. the U.S. warship, the Kearney, is an Arleigh Burke-class guided missile destroyer. It's already shot down multiple rockets. The Houthis have fired toward Israel so far in the war. It was not damaged in the attack. No injuries reported on board. But, you know, there's all this trouble in the Middle East, and right we're right in the middle of it. Now, if Israel needs the help, then we should be there. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not convinced Israel needs help in a war against Hamas. But we're over there for whatever reason or reasons. And we've been over there, and nothing's going to change. It doesn't matter if it's a Republican administration or a Democratic administration. 
nothing ever seems to change. Well, there's not much we can do about it, but I'm just giving you the news here as I see, as I see it and uh, put my spin to it. You know, there was a debate recently. I think it was hosted by uh, Sean Hannity at Fox. I didn't see it. I, I saw clips of it. California Governor Gavin Newsom had a horrible night, to say the least. He got, he got crushed. Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida and Republican presidential contender, just destroyed him. It was so bad, the mainstream media didn't even give Newsom a, a whole lot of support. Hannity hosted the debate featuring the two. It was reminiscent of what the old political Sunday shows used to be, those of us old enough to remember those, to get two, I guess you, you could call them heavy hitters. Certainly DeSantis is a heavy hitter. I'm not sure about Newsom. Didn't look like it during this debate. But they duked it out, and, you know, that's, that's the idea of a debate. And you can see why Democrats don't want to debate Republicans. You can see why Biden has no intention of debating Trump if and when Trump gets a nomination. You know, if you're Newsom, how can you defend the indefensible? He can't. All night, DeSantis just ripped Newsom apart. At one point, even Newsom had a chuckle at the drubbing he was taking. I had the audio clip somewhere, but it's like 30 seconds. And it's 30 seconds of DeSantis saying, look, I mean, he held up a picture of feces. He said, this is what a lot of the streets in San Francisco look like. People defecating on sidewalks. You know, the border, California's borders are wide open. And I mean, how can you defend the indefensible? Newsom cannot run with the big boys. I mean, he's a, he's a big fish in a small pond. But when he gets in the national spotlight against somebody who's at least, I'm, you know, a far more talented debater, DeSantis is, than Newsom will ever be. He can't run with the big boys. And uh, there's, there was no glowing reviews for Newsom. I mean, he got his backside handed to him, basically. But he can't defend his record. Spikes in crime, homelessness, open borders. You got these bums defecating on public sidewalks. Uh, you don't, you know, every Democrat in the last cycle, not every Democrat, but a lot of them just refused to debate their Republican counterparts. Uh, the uh, woman who is now the governor of Arizona ducked her debate opportunities with uh, Carrie Lake. She knew what was going to happen. Lake would, you know, clean her clock. Biden ducking debates. I mean, they're horrible debaters, and they can't defend policies that basically have wrecked cities, states, and the entire country, where and when they've been implemented. All righty, let's see here. One of the policies the Democrats back is they seem to be lenient on crime. They support criminals over victims. A homeowner in L.A., of all places, speaking of Gavin Newsom, defended his home and his property and his family from three intruders early Saturday morning. One of the intruders was shot dead, according to local law enforcement. This happened at 5 a.m., and this means nothing to us because we're not from that area, but it was in the Granada Hills neighborhood. And upon the arrival of the cops, the homeowner recounted his experience. He said he'd been inside his home, along with his grandmother, uh, with a grandmother, I don't know if it was his grandmother, and a child, when these three unidentified hoodlums forced their way in. The homeowner said the intruders were clad in dark clothing, hoodies, and masks, so he feared for his life, and the, the life of his, lives of his, uh, this older woman and a child. So he took matters into his own hands. He didn't call the cops. Afterwards, when he took care of business, then he called the police. But these punks had, had 
pulled up in a black BMW sedan, and they fled the scene on foot. They left their vehicle behind. One of them had, had to leave in an ambulance, and uh, but paramedics from the L.A. Fire Department were called to the scene. You come in somebody's house unannounced, threatening violence, you, you know, you're going to get shot. I know that you would up here in upstate New York, where I live. It, there's no crime at all. Nobody breaks into anybody's homes up here because everybody is, is armed, despite these insane gun laws we have here in New York State. Everybody I know has several long guns. It's difficult to get a pistol license or pistol permit here in New York State, but everybody has rifles, and we're going to keep them. And this gentleman uh, took care of business. In blue states, these governors, they, they want to disarm the public, so the criminal element has the upper hand, but it's not going to happen because we're not going to let it happen. It's one thing to pass these bills into law. It's quite another thing to try to enforce them. And that's another matter entirely. I got one more story here, and I, I thought I was going to end on the uh, the homeowner shooting the one of the attackers, but there's a, I had a, I had to print this out. I see a lot of people in Albany wearing masks. Not the N95 so much, but the surgical masks. And, you know, they're all Democrats. I mean, I, I work in a, an area that's probably 80% Democrats. And two face mask providers say they're closing. There's no demand for masks any longer. You know, three years ago, these things were, you, you couldn't get them. The Project N95, a nonprofit that helped people buy protective equipment during the coronavirus pandemic, said this week it would stop selling masks on December 18th and wind down its operations. Revenues from mask sales and donations were no longer enough to support its operations. That's it. All these mask outfits. But the sudden demand during COVID led, led to shortages. Mid-March of 2020, even healthcare workers were desperately short of protective equipment. Remember that back in the middle of the pandemic? Now they're closing. Demand is down, except, again, at state office buildings here in New York. Half the, I don't want to say half the people, but a good percentage of these people, now as the weather's getting colder, you know, they're liberals. You know, they're afraid of everything, any kind of risk at all. You see them driving in their Subarus with their masks on. It's like, what are you doing? Walking through the, uh, the concourse, uh, the legislative office building, which is the best ventilated building probably anywhere. Nobody near them. They got, they're fully masked. It's like, all right, well, you know, but if you choose to do that, that's one thing. You can't mandate it. That's the problem I had with it. And I stopped wearing masks long before they said it was okay to stop wearing them. People gave me a hard time. I just said, look, that's enough. Enough's enough. So the rise and now decline of the protective masks. Only, I remember back in the middle of the pandemic, my daughters had to wear masks. They're playing outdoor soccer. And the school officials required the, peep, the parents watching their kids play to be masked outdoors. It's like, I'm not going to, I didn't do it. I stayed, you know, a good distance away from the nearest people. I was maybe 50 or 60 feet. I'm thinking, why should I wear a mask outdoors? You couldn't catch it outdoors. Coronavirus. You would literally have to be nose to nose with an infected person to catch it outdoors. Then, I'm not sure about now. So masks are a thing of the past, again, except here in upstate New York, Albany. And, it's, you know, as far as the people who wear them, it's part of this uh, New York Times story where I got this. Mask use varied by region. It was highest in the northeast and the west and lower, uh, lower in the plain states and parts of the south. People in the south didn't, didn't play along that, for that long. There was also a political divide, obviously. Many on the right 
abandoned their mask wearing. Many on the left still wear it, wear them. And uh, but it was like the third rail of American politics. But it's over. Even here in New York, uh, Governor Hochul dropped indoor mask mandates in February of I think twenty twenty two even dropped the public transportation mandate, which was not being consistently enforced anyway. Before we leave, I'll just run down the birthday list here for this December 5th. By the time you hear this, it's going to be December 6th or later. President Martin Van Buren was born today, December 5th, I think in Kinderhook, someplace in New York. He's buried in the Albany Rural Cemetery, is Martin Van Buren. And who else born today? Uh, Christina Rossetti, who wrote the poem... In the Bleak Midwinter, which was, has been made into a Christmas song. James Taylor has recorded it, among others. George Armstrong Custer, born today. Walt Disney would be turning in his grave if he could see what is, is happening to the country or the company he founded. Strom Thurmond, former Dixiecrat turned Republican, states' rights advocate Strom Thurmond, uh, was born today. Little Richard, who passed away recently, also born today. Turning to the land of the living, Andy Kim, who had a song, one-hit record. I recall back in the mid-'70s, Rock Me Gently, Andy Kim, 77 years old today. Jim Messina of Loggins and Messina, also big in the 70s. He's 76. Jim Plunkett, former quarterback for the uh, Boston Patriots and then later the Oakland Raiders. Jim Plunkett, 76 today. Morgan Brittany, actress, 71. Art Monk, Washington Redskins. He was one of the fun bunch. From the 80s, wide receiver, Hart Monk, 66 years old today. Who else? Lisa Marie, 55. Margaret Cho, or Chow, I guess it is, 55. She is a comedian, allegedly. And uh, Paula Patton is 46. That's about going to wrap things up. Thank you very much, folks, for tuning us in. Before we go, let me remind you to hit that like button. Hit subscribe. We need subscribers. Tell your friends about us. The Pac-Man Podcast. We do it weekly. I'm Ted Flint on the BMG network and don't forget to share it with your friends on social media and if you want to check out all the fine programming we have for you we really have some talented podcasters my daughter Madeline working on one she'll have it up on the BMG network this week it's called The Essentials with Maddie Flint don't forget to check out Adrian Ross check out the Age Sage and other fine podcasters we have for you on the BMG network and don't forget some really good columns, if I do say so myself, under the PAC perspective. One up there recently on the uh, pro-life movement, how it's resulting in additional births, in the, especially in the states that have 14 states have banned abortion, outright ban on abortion, 32,000 babies born last year as a result. And that's good news. It's life, and life is a gift from God. How can that be bad news? But those on the on the far left view it as a threat to a woman's so-called right to choose. But again, check out that uh, column, my latest column on the, under the PAC perspective. And we'll do this again real soon. Thank you very much for tuning us in. If the Lord wills it, we will talk to you in one week. The Pac-Man Podcast was produced and edited in the BMG studio. Music by Kevin McLeod. For more episodes of the Pac-Man Podcast, go to the bmgnetwork.com or go to the BMG Network on Facebook. And be sure to tune in to the next episode of the Pac-Man Podcast with Ted Flint.